Bow with me, please. Lord God, thank you. Thank you, thank you that you came as a lamb slain before the foundation of the world that we might have salvation. Lord, next time we see you in physical sight, you will come as the lion of Judah. Lord, at that time, it will be too late to choose Christ. And so, Lord, we pray that if there's somebody within the sound of my voice today that doesn't know the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, Lord, I pray that they would reach out in faith and trust Him with all of their heart, and uh, Lord, salvation would come to them. Lord, for the rest of us that know, that we know, that we know, that we have that great gift of salvation, let us worship you in spirit and in truth. Let us worship you with such passion that you deserve. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Hey, take one of these um, white cards, please, and fill that out. We would love to know if you're worshiping with us today, maybe your first or second time. And so please fill that out. On the back of that card, you, there's a chance to write down a prayer request, comment, uh, and there's some boxes there on the, on the back. Do you want to know more about the church? Do you want to know what it means to be baptized, what it means to have a relationship with Christ? We'd be happy to reach out to you and, and answer any and all questions. By the way, uh, or, or not by the way, but also, uh, we have a uh, couple celebrating a 50 First wedding anniversary uh, today, uh, Dan and Carol McMaster. Dan and Carol, where are you? Oh, okay. God bless you. Happy anniversary. And I got to make that announcement because the pastor offended him. He said, uh, well, 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 praise the Lord. That was the year I was born. <laughs> so, uh, hey, as we worship today, we're going to... Uh, sing some songs that remind us of the faith, the faith that we must place in the Lord Jesus Christ. And this great old hymn reminds us of that, Leaning on the Everlasting Arms. What a fellowship, what a joy divine, Leaning on the everlasting arms.
the everlasting arms. And who are those everlasting arms belong to? In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace, when fears are still, when striving cease. My comforter, my all in all, here in the love of Christ I stand. In Christ alone, who took on flesh, fullness of God in helpless pain, this gift of love and righteousness, scorned by the ones he came to save. Still on that cross, as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. For every sin on him was laid, here in the death of Christ I ground his body lay light of the world by darkness slain then bursting forth in glorious day up from the grave he rose again and as he stands in victory since Christ has lost its grip on me for I am his and he mine, bought with the precious blood of Christ. No guilt in life, no fear in death, this is the power Be seated. 
About uh, 100 years ago, a lady by the name of Ada Ruth Habershon uh, wrote about 57 hymns. One of her most popular was, and let's all sing along. Will the circle be unbroken by and by, Lord, by and by? There's a better home awaiting in the sky, Lord, in the sky. Amen. Now, if somebody beside you was just singing that perfectly at the top of their lungs, turn to them and, and say, wow, you're old. So, she also wrote the lyrics to another song, one we've uh, sang recently in the last couple of years, and it was set to a new tune by Getty Music, one of the writers there. It's called, He Will Hold Me Fast. And many believe that Psalm 139 is the inspiration for this text, and let's read it together. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to the heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the utmost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. He's got a hold of you. When I fear my faith will fail, Christ will hold me fast. When the tempter would prevail, He will hold me fast. I could never keep my hold through life's fearful
Christ will hold me fast. Justice has been satisfied. He will hold me fast. Raised with him to endless life. He will hold me fast. Till our faith is turned to sight. When he Never 
Thank you, Lord. Amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning, <clears throat> Natalie and I, and of course, on behalf of my daughter and son-in-law, we are thankful for the prayers. We had uh, grandbaby number four this week, so I, uh, I think it was Paul Hernandez sitting over here that said to me by way of text when I took off to Alabama on Tuesday, he said, You're, you don't look old enough to have four grandbabies. I said, well, I thought to myself when he said that, if your daughter's 25 and she's already had four, then you're not that old, right? <laughs> I mean, good night. She's not even 26 years old. won't be till January. And so just pray for her. The baby's in great shape. Elena's doing well. And we certainly appreciate uh, your prayers. All right. Ephesians chapter 2. Listen to verses 8, 9, and 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works so that no one may boast. This verse is for next week, but I'll read it today. For we are his workmanship, which created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that, we, beforehand that we should walk in them. Isaac Watts wrote a hymn in 1707 called How Sweet and Awful Is This Place. Now, awful back then was spelled A-W-E, if you will, which highlights the respect and awe and wonder at the Lord God. And so... Here's what verse 2 says. While all our hearts and all our songs join to admire the feast, each of us cries with thankful tongue, Lord, why was I a guest? I hope that you have a greater appreciation for the grace of God since we have been studying Ephesians. Uh, that's exactly how Isaac Watts felt when he wrote those words. It's how Ruth felt in Ruth chapter 2 verse 10 when she says, when the Bible says, then she fell on her face and bowing to the ground and he said, she said to Boaz, why have I found grace in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? We should all agree today that the source of our salvation is the grace of God. But we also labored last week to study the fact that Jesus Christ, though, is the ground of our salvation. Uh, no death, no atonement, uh, no obedience of Jesus to the Father's plan and will, no grace, right? So even though the source is grace, the ground of our salvation is Christ alone. And then, of course, the point last week was to talk about the means or instrument of our salvation is faith. 
Paul says that grace comes through faith. The human response to grace is actually found in chapter 1, verse 13. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him. So, belief in the gospel. So, you will recall from last week the analogy that we used about partaking of a meal or food set before you. How many remember that from last week? Half of you were not here last week? All right. Do you remember we gave the analogy of salvation as a meal set before us? And we compared the analogy of faith to how do you get the meal from the plate into your mouth? And I know some of you kids thought, with my hands, right? We know that's the way you eat. But we know the analogy we use is a fork. The food must be put into your mouth. It must be chewed and it must be swallowed. It must be digested in order to accomplish its purpose. So how do you get the food from the plate into your mouth? The analogy we use was through the, a fork. So faith is like the fork in the sense that it is an instrument or means of our salvation. Today we need to ask the question, where did the fork come from? Is that a good question? Folks, we wrestle with these texts because it's in the Bible. Okay? You don't have to come away from today believing just like your pastor, but you better be able to tell me why you believe it based on the Bible. Okay? Based on thus saith the Lord. Last time I checked, the pastor search committee brought me here to preach the word. Right? And that's exactly what this pastor is going to do. So we have to ask the question, how, uh, I mean, if you're going to eat it with a fork and this is the instrument that, that we're using as an analogy, the question comes to mind, where did, the fate, where did the fork come from? So, faith is like the fork in the sense that it is the instrument or means by which we bring the salvation in or the food based on the analogy. How did you get the fork in your hand? Is it like this? God, by his grace, provides the meal of salvation. And then we look at it. We realize that we, in fact, need a fork, our faith. And we search around in our back pocket. And behold, there's a fork back there. And then we pull out our own fork, and we eat the meal that God provides. That meal looks good, smells good, and I'm glad I brought my fork to eat it with me. Okay. People, many people think that God in his grace provides the meal in Christ or salvation in Christ, then we, by adding our faith to it, then become saved. Now, the greatest defender in the Bible of salvation by grace alone is the Apostle Paul. I hope you realize that because that's what you've been hearing. And so at this time, he's going to press home the reality of being saved by grace even further. Remember where we traveled so far just for those who missed out last week or didn't listen last week, right? Remember where we traveled so far. We studied the first great principle. You have been saved, right, by grace. Actually, by grace, you are having been saved. Uh, grammatically, that doesn't sound good in English, but that's what the Greek says. So we defined grace in action. What is grace in action? Well, it started before you were on the scene. Ephesians 1.4, God demonstrated his love toward you by choosing you before the foundation of the world. Folks, I don't know what you think about that, but that's called grace. And it says it clearly in chapter 1, verse 4. And then he also demonstrated his grace toward us in redemption accomplished. 
That's the terminology that is used there with the perfect tense. Having been accomplished in the past. And then there's the present reality of we are saved. And so redemption was accomplished and applied through the Son. And then he also demonstrated that salvation toward us. By actually coming to us and saving us. So there's grace. In eternity past, God shows you in Him before the foundation of the world. In eternity present, it is the redemption of Christ applied to your life wherein you believed. And then one of these days, and it's not in this text right before us, but there's a future glorification that's mentioned in chapter 8 of the book of Romans, verse 29. So salvation is a completed action, fully completed and accomplished through the Lord Jesus Christ. When He cried out, it is finished. He meant that all that was necessary for us to have a salvation, our salvation, had been accomplished through his death upon Calvary. And in this present state, we can say we have, we can say we have been saved completely, we are being saved, and we shall be saved. This is the good news of the gospel. We can sum it up in three words. God saves sinners. Hallelujah for the gospel. I want to remind you there is no other gospel. God saves sinners. God doesn't save sinners with sinners' help. God saves sinners. God saves sinners by virtue of his own free and sovereign grace. So we actually spent some time discussing what faith looks like last week, didn't we? We spent our time talking about grace alone as the source, Christ alone for the ground, and faith alone as the means. Why? Because faith is the only thing compatible with the grace of God. Romans 1.17 would be a great verse for you to read. From faith for faith. How that revelation came to us. It's the only thing that is compatible with grace. It is through faith so that it is compatible with grace. And then we discussed what the nature of faith looks like. It involves the mind, the will, and the affections. And if you're truly saved this morning, then remember that faith has a spouse. And her name is repentance. Repentance. Right? Faith and repentance. Same coin, two different sides. Faith and repentance will produce something in your life. In other words, they're going to have babies. They're going to have offspring. And those offspring that we have will be obedience, work, and love for God and your neighbor. Right? Here's what Martin Lloyd-Jones said to touch on that aspect of it. The gospel of grace and faith. He says this, what a gospel. What a glorious message. It can satisfy man's mind completely. It can move his heart entirely. And it can lead to wholehearted obedience in the realm of his will. That's the gospel. That's what the gospel does. Jesus Christ is the only perfectly suitable Savior for sinners. Now, today our text is going to add to this. Last week, for by grace you have been saved through faith. Don't you love just going verse by verse? Line by line. Some of you say, please speed up. Here it is. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of work, so that no man may boast. So if you remember that outline from last week, we are saved through faith and not works. Right? Remember that? And we dealt with means, and then we dealt with the nature of saving faith. Today, let's add point three and four to that. But on the overhead, it's going to be one and two, and it's real simple. Here it is. First, salvation is a gift. We study these verses often, and we forget that statement. 
Salvation is a gift. Hallelujah. Salvation is a gift. So let's begin with, and this is not of yourselves. I'm reading from the ESV. And in the middle of verse 8, let's say 8b. And this is not your own doing. Now, if we're going to read the Word of God grammatically, and should we do that? You better believe it. When we come across a word like, and this, we have to ask the question, what is that little word connected to? What is this demonstrative pronoun, this, connected to? It has to have an antecedent. You can't have a this without a that. It's connected to something before it. And this is not of yourself. Do y'all think there's a little bit of a debate on and this is not of yourself? Folks, I wish I had the money of the books that have been purchased to deal with this particular subject. And this is not of yourselves, it's a gift of God. So what does the this refer to? I would submit to you that in my conscience and heart, not only is this the subject of great debate, I think it's the great dividing line between a man-centered salvation and a God-centered salvation. And there are many of people in this room who feel that way, and I feel that way wholeheartedly, that this is a dividing line between a God-centered salvation, God saves sinners, versus a man-centered salvation. So this is vitally important. So when you see the this, it must have a that. It must have an antecedent that it refers to. This, notice, not of yourselves. So here's the fundamental problem. Are you ready for a Greek grammar lesson? Yay! That's the way you're supposed to respond, right? Hey, folks, this is the Word of God. Every jot, tittle, inspired. We are commanded by the Lord to be a workman approved. We're to study the Word of God. And so here we go. The word grace is a feminine noun. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. So, do you know, in Greek, every noun has a gender, and it doesn't mean boy and girl words. Okay? Set that aside. It simply means that each word has a gender, i.e. masculine, feminine, or Somebody said it under your breath. Neuter, right? So it simply means that each word has a gender. So grace is feminine. Here's the other deal. Faith is also feminine. The word, this, a demonstrative pronoun, is neuter. What this means is that grammatically, with the gender, the neuter doesn't match grace and faith as both being Feminine. Does that make sense? So here's the argument from some. Well, you guys say that salvation is all of God by grace through faith. And even the faith is not of yourselves. That faith is the gift of God. And they say that cannot be right because the pronoun right here is neuter. But faith and grace are both feminine. And therefore, you cannot explain that from the Bible otherwise. What do you all think about that? Well... So faith is not the gift of God in their opinion. Actually, it comes from us. Faith is something that we bring to it. And they would say there's no way you can prove that faith is not of ourselves. 
right? So here's the problem. Nothing that precedes the pronoun is neuter. Nothing. If nothing before it is actually neuter, then it still has to have an antecedent. Nothing before it is actually feminine. Uh, Actually, nothing is neuter before it. Everything before it doesn't fit that particular gender. Now, the question is, what does it in fact refer to? Listen to Herbert Ware Smith's Greek grammar. He says the unattached neuter is common in definitions where the pronoun serves as the predicate. And that's exactly what you have in this particular passage. This means that this could actually refer to faith. It does not exclude it just because faith is feminine. All Greek grammarians that get paid will tell you that's true. Okay? I'm not a Greek scholar, but this means that it could actually refer to faith. Right? For by grace you are saved through faith. And this, not of yourselves. It could, in fact, refer to faith. However, there is a better option. And I believe it's the most plausible option. Please consider the flow of the passage. All right, is everybody with me? You don't have to know Greek to follow the flow of the passage. Here it is. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works. For by grace you have been saved through faith. That first unit of thought is what we would call the whole package of salvation. What is salvation? For by grace you have been saved through faith. Folks, that's the whole package of salvation. Period. Then Paul turns around and says this is not of ourselves. The what is, or this is, the whole grace through faith package. This whole package, the grace, salvation, and faith is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. What we do have more commonly, and this is a fact, is a neuter pronoun used collectively when you have more than one noun put together. In other words, this is exactly what we have here in the text. So the bottom line is the grace isn't from us, the salvation isn't from us, and the faith ultimately is not from us. It is the gift of God. Peter O'Brien says, The context demands that this be understood of salvation by grace as a whole, including the faith through which it is received. The statement is abundantly clear. This salvation which is by grace through faith is not from us. It doesn't find its source in us. It doesn't find, find its ground in us. And it doesn't find its means in us. What is the heart of the gospel? God saves sinners. God saves sinners. The salvation is not of ourselves. Is there something in us that is the motivation of God's grace? If so, then grace is no longer grace. If there was something in you that was the motivation for God to save you, then grace is no longer grace. So, faith is not sourced in us in any shape or form. And for some of us this morning, this is a revelation. Because up to you at this point in your life, you've thought God does his part, and that's a lot. But I do my part, and that's the part of faith. Folks, you need to think differently about that. God does his part, and part of his part is your faith. Okay? I'm not trying to split hairs, but I am trying to honor the God who saves sinners. That's what we're trying to do today. We're trying to honor the God. There's a reason for it when we get to the end, and we're going to talk about that. I get it. Some of you will object. And I'm okay. I'm your pastor. I love you. You don't have to agree with me. 
Even though I think the text unequivocally teaches that faith is a gift from God. Period. I don't think the Greek can mean anything else other than that. However, we don't have to fall out on this. Okay? Everybody listening? If you think you brought your faith to the table, I'm okay with that. As long as you're putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ only to save you. That's the real deal, right? Putting your faith. However, as a biblical person, we have to study the Bible. We have to see what the scripture says. So, O'Brien again says, God's magnificent rescue from death, wrath, and bondage is all of grace. It neither originates in us, nor is it affected by the readers. Instead, God's own gift, a point which Paul goes out of his way to emphasize by changing the normal wording order, contrasts God's with ours. In other words, the literal Greek rendering is God's is the gift. God's is the gift, right, that is given to us. It is not of ourselves. So the entire grace through faith salvation package is the gift of God. It didn't come from us. It came from God. A gift is not a co-op. A gift is not a co-op. A gift is not a mutual effort between the giver and the receiver. The gift comes from one direction. This is what Paul is saying, folks. This is great and glorious. It's a, it's a wonderful thing to think about salvation by grace through faith. And it is a gift to us from God alone. Again, you can certainly disagree with my opinion. And I believe you're disagreeing with the text. But folks, even the fork that you come to the meal with is a part of the salvation package. Okay? The life that is maintained through the nourishment is a gift. And even the fork is a gift from God. Let me show you a couple of texts which pinpoint this, Acts chapter 18. If you're interested, you ought to turn, right? Acts 18, verse 27. Acts 18, 27. And when he wished to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. When he arrived, he greatly, listen, helped those who through Grace had believed. How did they believe? Through grace. For he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that Christ was the Christ, or was Jesus. Now flip over to Philippians. Philippians chapter 1, verse 29. You know how I remember this? I'm from Georgia. General Electric Power company, right? Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. You learn all that kind of stuff to be able to navigate through the scriptures. So that was just going through my mind as I was flipping. Philippians chapter 1 verse 29. Listen close. Listen. For it has been granted. Y'all know what that word is? It is the verb form of charis, which is grace. Charizo is the word. So, for it has been graced to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe. So how did we believe? It was graciously graced to you for you to believe. Not only that, listen to this. But also that you should suffer for his sake. Well, we don't want that part. Not only did you graciously receive the, the right to believe, but you also graciously are granted the right to suffer for his name. That's another sermon, just bringing out the point. And here is my favorite, Hebrews chapter 12. Don't you love it? 
Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely to us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to who? Jesus, the founder and perfector of our faith. Who's the source of faith? Say it. It's Jesus Christ. Not only that, but listen to Romans 10, 17. For... Faith comes through and hearing how? By the word of God. Faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of God. So, if you're saved today, Acts 10.31, if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved. That faith did not come from you. That faith was given to you as a gift from your Father in heaven so that when you believe through grace... God granted you the right to believe. Jesus is the author, founder, and perfector of our faith. He's the source of saving faith. And if you believe today, it is not because God did his part and you did yours. It is because God in free and matchless sovereign grace granted to you this salvation package which includes your faith. Would you pop up there the B, F, and M? Listen how we have liberty here. Regeneration or the new birth is a work of God's grace whereby believers become new creatures in Christ. It is a change of heart wrought by the Holy Spirit. Y'all notice that. How does salvation come? Wrought by the Holy Spirit through conviction of sin to which the sinner responds in repentance toward God and faith in the Lord Jesus. What comes first? The work of being wrought by the Holy Spirit. Then comes conviction of sin. Then comes repentance toward God. Repentance and faith are inseparable experience of grace. Man, we've just preached that, right? Repentance is a genuine turning from sin toward God. Faith is the acceptance of Jesus Christ and commitment of the entire personality to Him as Lord and Savior. Look, if you're SBC today, you ought to agree with that. That's what your statement says, okay? And that's nothing different than what your pastor has taught you out of Ephesians, right? This is what we believe is how we explain saving faith. So, how is it a gift? I get the fork. I get it. You're saying it is a gift. But does God put it into our hands and make us eat it? Isn't that a good question? Right? I, am a, I affirm to you today, 100%, that faith is indeed the gift of God. But here's what I want to remind you of. God doesn't believe for you. Anybody listening? God does not believe for you. He doesn't force the fork into your hand and then take your arm. <laughs> I just had images when we, when we birthed Timothy. Right? Yeah, that first baby. Trying to get him to eat that baby food. Folks, you ever tasted that stuff? It's nasty. I, I owe you an apology, Timothy. I went, I'd, have, I'd have closed my mouth too. But you know, Natalie probably came in several times and I had my feet stuck up on top of the high chair pushing like this. And I'm like, you're going to eat it! Right? And it's just all over his face. And I'm going to force this into you no matter what it takes. Right? But then we get creative. Right? Airplane. Right? Ha! You know, no, that stuff's nasty. Right? Well, here's the deal. He wasn't willing to eat. Here's the truth. He wasn't willing. It is not as if God sets the meal down in front of us and we're sitting there looking at it thinking, we're not going to eat this. And God takes our hand and puts the fork in it into our hand and says, you're going to eat this no matter what, whether you like it or not. 
Do you know how faith is the gift of God? The plate is put down in front of us. And in our natural state, the Bible says the natural man cannot discern the things of God. So as you're sitting there before that plate, it's like, this is gross. This is yuck. I hate it. Then God begins to work. He doesn't take the fork and force it into your hands. The God of glory begins to give you divine taste buds. Woo! Right? He begins to give you divine taste buds. Instead of being an aroma of death unto death, it becomes an aroma of life unto life. And the Father takes the meal of salvation through grace alone, right? And makes it smell so good. And then he changes us on the inside so that we start thinking to ourselves, not only does it look good, not only does it smell good, I'm getting hungry, right? So faith is the gift of God. Because it makes us hungry. And out of it, that hunger, it enables us with delight to desire to pick up the fork and eat. If you're saved today, you know this. You remember in your own heart how God began to manipulate the heartstrings. You never believe the gospel against your will. It's that the divine Savior is working on the inside and, and, and doing whatever it takes in us, circumstances and situations and friends, and is giving you taste buds. So back on Isaac Watts' song, verse 3, listen to this. Why was I made to hear your voice and enter while there is room when thousands make a wretched choice and rather starve than come? It was the same love that spread the feast that sweetly drew us in. Else we had still refused to taste and perished in our sin. What a God. What a salvation. This is why faith is the gift of God. God doesn't believe for us, but he changes us. I've heard people have a negative attitude toward the effectual call. I've even had a few of you express your dismay and disbelief that God would effectively, effectually call sinners into repentance. I don't think you understand what it means. The idea of effectual calling is not as if someone is God's elect and since he's going to save you anyway, he's going to tell you exactly how to do it and force feed you. By the time, by the way, dude, it's time for your effectual calling. I'm about to smack you in the head and here we go. So God with brutal sovereign power takes our little arms with a fork in hand and he crams salvation down our throats. You're going to heaven whether you want to or not. That's the way some people think that effectual call means, folks. The real issue that led to your belief was that radical contrast between darkness and light. And folks, you can't get that unless God turns on the light. The natural man cannot discern. If you want to, I've had people argue with me that dead is really not dead, preacher. Dead is not dead. Okay, I'll give you that. If you want to believe that dead is not dead, I disagree 100% because your salvation is likened unto the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. He was dead. Necros. Dead. Okay? I'll give you that. But here's what the Bible also says. The Bible says the spirit imparts life. And the natural man cannot discern the things of God. So don't you sit there in your seat and tell me that you can be saved without the word of God and the spirit moving in your heart. No man will ever be saved unless the Spirit of God draws him. It's the one that is working. But I'm telling you, not only does he work, 
He gives you taste buds, which issues forth into faith. Folks, this is a greater miracle than him force-feeding you. Don't you see it? It's a greater miracle than him just taking your hand and arm and fork and just stuffing it in your mouth. No, God works to orchestrate the salvation of his people. So God changes what goes on the inside here. He takes a recalcitrant sinner who's dead in his unbelief. He changes us in such a way that he turns us to see the beauty and glory of Christ. 2 Corinthians 4. Like God turning on the light of creation. He, he expresses that light inside the heart and mind of God so that you see the Lord Jesus Christ. You, you see the gospel in the face of the Lord Jesus Christ. Only God can do that. All of a sudden, it does feel like a desperate lunge of faith. Why? The sinner's heart has been transformed. And God takes a transformed person and takes that rebel and turns them into a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the singular greatest miracle of all. That desperate lunge of faith is nothing, nothing less than the change of heart that God does. I'll take out the heart of stone and I'll put in a heart of flesh. J.I. Packer says this, The saving power of the cross does not depend on faith being added to it. Its saving power is such that it flows from it. Wow. Jesus not only purchased your pardon, he not only gave you forgiveness of your sins, he also purchased your faith with which you would believe. And when our redemption that was accomplished in eternity past becomes a redemption that is applied to us in the present, that faith that you respond with is a gift from God. Salvation is a gift. Do I need to preach that again? All right. Number two, no one can boast. When Paul is revealing this truth to the Ephesian believers, most of the Jews, or the culture, believe that you were justified how? Say it. By works. Do y'all know who the Jews held up as the paradigm for being justified by works? Who was it? It was Abraham. Now how ironic is this? Paul is going to turn around and take Abraham and show that he was justified by grace, through faith, not the works of the law, right? But the Judaizers during this day, and a lot of Ephesian believers or people that were thinking about the gospel, they had an entire Jewish theological system of belief that said faith is important, but faith is not enough. And Abraham stood as the model of their justification by works. Paul turns right around in Romans 4. On your spare time, read this. And in Galatians 3, and he proves that actually Abraham was saved by grace through faith. So, so Paul here in Ephesians, will blunt, with blunt force, says, Not as a result of works, lest any man should boast. Notice the parallel. Not of us, and not of ourselves, and not of works. What works? You'd say, well, preacher, what works is Paul actually pointing out here? Is Paul against works? Let your eyes fall down to verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created unto good works. No, he's not against works. You just got to have works right in the equation. You got to have works right in the salvation equation. So, the works here he's referring to in verse 10 are things that we should do with love, right? But they're not given to us in order for us to gain acceptance before God. 
That's the problem. Human effort or performance cannot save. Any amens? What is wrong with trying to earn righteousness, righteousness in order to be right with God? I mean, you may ask yourself that question. What's so wrong with it? Why, why can't God let us do a little bit of righteousness so we can do our part and get this salvation? Well, notice what the text says. It is not of ourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So what's wrong with trying to earn righteousness in order to be right with God? A lot. A lot. First, it is a human impossibility. We cannot be righteous enough in our own to, to gain acceptance with God. The other thing is it produces some very ugly offspring. Y'all listening to me? If you could gain access to heaven through your own righteousness, it would create some very nasty offspring. It produces pride and human achievement. Doesn't it? Who does Jesus hammer over and over about pride and arrogance? The Pharisees. Jesus would say, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter heaven. What does he mean by that? Well, on the outside, they look righteous. But on the inside, they were full of dead man's bones. Right? The outward conformity looked good, but on the inside, they were lost as a ball in high grass. They were lost. They did not know the Lord. Why? Because they had a self-made righteousness. And they belittled the glory of God. And Jesus hammers them over this issue. There is no human effort that you can perform that gains you salvation. The true posture of faith says that I make no claim for my own works. True saving faith casts itself on the mercy of God. Remember the publican? He didn't pray like the Jew who said, I am so glad I'm not like this person over here. He said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. You know what that word is in the Greek? It's the word propitiate. God, be propitiated to me, a sinner. Appease the wrath of God on my behalf. That's the only hope we have for heaven, is that Jesus Christ will take the wrath that belonged to you, and he took it upon himself. Remember Ephesians 2, 3, and 4? The wrath of God abides against you. Jesus Christ absorbs that wrath in our place. So, you can't bring a little tithing to the table and say, Lord, I know it says grace and faith, but I'm going to do a little bit of tithing hoping I'm going to get in. Your money can't buy you heaven. There's a country music song about that, right? Several of them, by the fact. Think about that. I'm going to add a little bit of tithing. How about my baptism? Lord, I think if I just duck again, I'm going to come up holy. Just keep baptizing me, preacher. I'm going to come up holy one day. Now, folks, that's an antitype. The salvation that's referred to even in 2 Peter when it refers to Noah being saved through baptismal waters. Folks, Noah was saved by the ark, not water. How much water actually touched Noah? None. None. No water touched Noah. He wasn't saved by water. As a matter of fact, it was the ark that brought him out of the judgment of the waters. And when you're taken under those judgment waters and you're raised to walk in newness of life, it's because Jesus Christ Almighty has changed you from the inside out. Baptism doesn't save you. So, well, if I can just bring baptism, I'll be okay. What about a lot of good other works? Why? Look, folks, 
Isaiah 64, 6. On your best day, your righteousness before God is as a filthy rags. That's your righteousness before God. Filthy rags. There's not a single work we have ever done that is purely motivated, motivated by the glory of God alone. You say, preacher, don't say that. Check your own spirit. Check your own desire. There's not a single good work of righteousness that we have ever done that has been purely motivated by the sole good of another human being. Check your spirit, and you'll see I'm right. We love to glorify self. We love to think we did our part. But that's not the salvation that's been delivered unto us. Our motives are tainted, and our righteousness is filthy. If you go after acceptance with God through a works-based righteousness, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Y'all hear that? If you go after acceptance before God through a works-based righteousness, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. The Bible says, by the works of the law will no man be made right before God. Period. No man will ever be called righteous based upon what he has performed. Works as a source, ground, or means of salvation is completely incompatible with grace. Paul said this, but if it is by grace, it is no longer the basis of works. Otherwise, grace will be no longer grace. Romans eleven six. 6. Remember that old adage, nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. To be brought to this point, you must be poor in spirit. Beatitudes, right? Poor in spirit. If you're not willing to let go of your own works, you will not enter heaven. You must rely solely on the righteousness of Jesus Christ. There is a place for works. And we're going to see that next week. But please make sure your theology has works in the right place of the equation of salvation. Are y'all listening? It's not Jesus plus, Jesus minus, it's Jesus only that saves. Any theological system, all ears, y'all listening? Any theological system or religion that tells you work and you can be righteous is an unbiblical and a non-saving religion that will only damn you to hell. And you can list out all the ones there. The view that the more I participate in the sacraments and the mass and confession and do my penance is less time that I will have to spend in purgatory is unbiblical and is false. It's a false gospel and it will not save. It will not save you. You are saved by Jesus only. Last time I read... Hebrews, it says that he made purification for our sins and sat down. I believe in purgatory. He purged me from my sins and sat down. And because of that, I'll never face any purgatory, right? Because he's already purged me from my sins. Past, present, and future. All your sins were in the future when Jesus made atonement for you and me. I'm so thankful that he removes our sin as far as the east is from the west. He throws it in the deepest part of the sea. And as Corey Ten Boom once said, he sticks up a no fishing sign. Hallelujah. For Jesus purging us of our sins. So, the true gospel of grace teaches that you lean 100% on the Lord Jesus Christ alone for salvation. Listen to this. Paul says, 1 Corinthians 4, 7. What do you have that you did not receive? In fact, you did receive it, 
Why do you boast as if you hadn't received it? 1 Corinthians 1.31, the one who boasts must boast in the Lord. Why is this important? He said, preacher, why are you laboring so hard about faith and grace and salvation by grace through faith alone in God? Why are you doing this? Why is it so important? Because it's important to God. Why? Because the text says, so that no one can boast in his sight. Y'all see how, whether you think it's important for me to preach it or not, go ahead and tell me. Pastor, it's good to preach it. You know why? Because God thinks it's important. No one will ever boast in his sight. So, here's why it will never be by works. Human effort or a co-op. He's not going to have anyone on the last day stand before him and say, Thank you, Father, for 75% of this gift. It's not going to happen. It will be sola deo gloria. It will be in God alone. He alone will receive the glory. Isaiah 42.8 I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory I will not give with another. Romans 3.27 says, Then what becomes of our boasting? Paul says, it's excluded. Why? He alone is worthy of glory. It matters, folks, because it matters to God. Glory matters. Okay, you want to hear verse 6 of uh, Isaac Watts' song? How sweet and awful is the place. Here's what he says. We long to see your churches full, that all the chosen race may, with one voice and heart and soul, sing your redeeming grace. Amen. That's what we ought to be singing about. If you're a subject of God's divine grace, don't you see why John Newton wrote a song like Amazing Grace? How sweet the sound that saved that hour I first believed. If the Word and the Spirit have worked together in your heart and mind today, guess what? You can be saved. Amen? Please listen to Acts 26. Last verse for today. Acts 26, 18. Paul says, he's recounting his ministry, and here's what Jesus told him. To open, I'm sending you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light. What's that called? Repentance. And from the power, that's called uh, faith, turn to, from darkness to light. And from the power of Satan to God, which is repentance, that they may receive forgiveness of sins, right? Faith, and place among those who are sanctified. Listen to this. By faith in me. That's what Jesus told him. This is how all those things happen. The opening of the eyes. The turning from sin to God. Or turning to God from sin. The forgiveness of sins applied to you. How does that come to you? What's the means? Jesus said it. To me. By faith. This is what Jesus commissioned Paul to do. And this is how you're saved. Listen ladies and gentlemen. You can be saved today. Calling upon Jesus only to forgive you of your sins, right? Pleading Jesus' obedience, perfect obedience on your behalf. Why? Because you didn't perfectly obey, right? We didn't. Aren't you thankful for grace? All right, next week we'll finish up the Magna Carta of the Christian faith and we'll talk about, for we are his workmanship, right? Created unto good works. Amen. Look, if you're lost today, you can be saved. And you're saved just like everybody else in this room. By having faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. 
the ground, his life, death, burial, and resurrection, his redemption on your behalf. And not only that, but his obedience to the Father, perfectly obeying the will of God. Right? The ground, the source, if you get saved today, it's going to be because of God's grace, not of your works. Amen? Would you believe the gospel? Would you trust him today? Let's stand to our feet. Let's sing to the glory of the Lord, right? Sing like the redeemed. Amen. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the eyes to the hillside. Turn your eyes to the hillside where justice and mercy embrace. There the Son of God gave his life for us and our measureless dead was erased. Jesus, Jesus, Statistically, they throw out stuff all the time about, in particular, Baptist churches. And you know what that is? They'll say things like, only about half the people on a given Sunday morning are truly regenerate. Y'all know that it's that much. Do you know there are 14 million Southern Baptists in the U.S.? And on a given Sunday, only 4 million come to church. Now, folks, let me tell you something. That means that the majority of those that never attend church do not know Christ. I'm just telling you. So why does the preacher preach like he does? I don't want our church full of people who never hear the gospel clearly. Why? Because they're unregenerate and they don't know the Lord. And it's my responsibility to preach the unadulterated, clear gospel of Jesus Christ. Hear this this morning. God saves sinners. If you can continue to live your life without conviction, if you can sin against your wife or your neighbor, or your brother, or if you can go without serving Christ in the church for weeks and days and months, or what does this come down to? It's faith, it's the children, it's the offspring, right? Obedience, right, comes out of being saved. Amen? It does. How about love? 
Those things come out of that. How about your service to the king? So the reason I preach so hard about this is because churches are full of people who made a decision. They made a profession without a possession. Let me tell you folks, when Jesus Christ saves you, it transforms your life. You're not the same. Hallelujah. Amen. Folks, you'll know a tree by its fruit. No tree. If there's no fruit, there's no tree. You had not been saved. So, folks, please pray for one another in this church family. Don't assume just because people come to church that they know the Lord. Amen. Let's sing one more verse since I just said this. And you can go home. Let's go back to that first I'm not verse. preaching Turn tonight, your right? You're off tonight. Turn Listen. your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Jesus, to you we lift our eyes. Oh, Jesus, our glory and our prize. We adore you, behold you, our Savior ever true. Oh, Jesus, we turn our eyes to you. Turn your eyes to the hillside. Turn your eyes to the hillside where justice and mercy embrace. There the Son of God gave his life for us and our closureless was erased. Oh, Jesus, to you we lift our eyes. Jesus, our glory and our prize. We adore you, behold you, our Savior ever true. Oh, Jesus, we turn our eyes to you. Well, praise the Lord. Sure glad you were here today. And uh, again, we will start back some Sunday night services, but it'll probably be, I think our first one's the end of August, yeah. right? We'll participate in the Lord's Supper. And then for a while, we're going to do two Sunday nights a month, okay? And uh, see where we go from there. Please pray for our community. Uh, it's kind of eerie to go around traveling and everything on the news is about Springfield. <laughs> I'm like, whoo, should I go home or not? You know, with the COVID and the variant and things like that. But folks, we just need to cry out to our God for mercy and pray to him. Uh, again, I've said this before. He's got the best vaccines we could ever get, right? He knows how to take care of us. So just pray. Pray for, our, pray for discernment, people going to work and people at hospitals. I mean, I met with folks this past week that are struggling with what administration is trying to get them to do or not do. I mean, folks, it's hard right now in our world. Uh, I agree with John at the end of Revelation. Come back, Lord Jesus. Amen. All right. God bless you. Let's sing this as we go. Because, because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, every fear is gone. I know he holds my life, my future in his hand. 
Have a great week.